from the former convent of the Good Shepherd overlooking Inwood Hill Park in New York City. Welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where we meet musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes that make their home what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and this is Live and Local. It's our podcast dedicated to showcasing the musicians of Upper Manhattan. We've talked with them about what they do, and best of all, listen to them perform live in one of our favorite local venues. Today, we are excited to speak with musician Maggie Clark. Maggie is a longtime Inwood resident and is a singer and rhythm guitarist for classic rock cover bands, The Apple Bonkers and The Meatles. She's also a concert and landscape photographer and the main concert photographer for the band, The Zombies. In her non-musical life, she is a zero-waste professional and community environmental activist. She is a founder and president of The Ring Garden on Dykeman Street, the founder of Inwood Preservation, a founding member of Inwood Legal Action, and is on the boards of the National Recycling Coalition and the Manhattan Solid Waste Advisory Board. We're going to talk to her about her music and her activism and so much more. But first, we welcome you, Maggie, to Inwood Artworks on Air. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. You bet. Um, well, starting off, uh, I want people to know that you've presented nearly 100 live stream living room concerts recently um, to keep people's spirits up. Um, I'm guessing so, and yourself as well. And uh, I've tuned in many times and always brightens my day. Um, did you start it at the beginning of the pandemic? Uh, is it what came out of the necessity and is that how it evolved? Yeah, within a couple of weeks of the beginning of the pandemic, I was noticing that other people, you know, other musicians that are friends of mine were already doing this. And I thought, hmm, I should do this. So, and, and I think someone had asked me, so I decided just one night to put the phone up, <laughs> you know, and, and I didn't have a set list or anything planned, so I just did the last few songs on Abbey Road, uh, and then I thought, well, that's too short. There are people tuning in already, you know, so let's just throw on a few, so I just thought, okay, let's do that, okay, let's do that, let's do that. And it was maybe half an hour, and it's evolved to be two hours. I know. I was going to say, from Abbey Road to, like, an encore set almost. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, I mean, so at one point I decided, all right, let's, let's pre-plan ten songs. And I'd get to the end of ten, and then I would have everybody in there kind of waiting. Okay. Uh, so I would uh, then think of some other ones, and I'd do them, and I'd do, you know, and then now I pre-planned 20 songs and when I get to the end of that I just sort of scroll back through previous uh, you know set lists I've got some software on an iPad and mm. and so all of the set lists are there that's great I can go back I can just sort of scroll okay number uh, 25 all right let's uh, let's uh, that one okay <laughs> well I, I think they're awesome I think it's a great time and uh, your influences uh, draw heavy from the 60s and 70s rock and folk rock scene. Um, when did you start playing in bands? When, when, when did you start, you know, your, your, your love for music? Where did it come from? Well, uh, those are two way different questions. So yeah. um, starting with the music, I mean, I was singing at age two. Yeah. Uh, you know, standing on a chair looking out the window, standing on the corner watching <laughs> all the girls go by. Uh, 1955 thereabouts uh-huh all right and and by age four uh they'd taken a busload of us to the tv station on a sunday morning uh, around christmas time and we're singing christmas carols on live tv 
and I'm one of the three they bring forward since I can carry a tune. Uh, you know, so I've been on live TV when, as a four-year-old, and, and then a couple, couple years later, I start to learn three-part harmony in camp, you know, campfire stuff. Uh, and so by the time, uh, oh, and, and when I was eight, I was in a choir, so I'm busy learning um, alto harmonies, you know, to sing and so forth. So by the time I'm 10 and the Beatles come out, I'm all set, right? I can copy anything. I have a nice low, naturally low voice, you know, my mother's side of the family. It's all very low voices. So I can sing in the original keys, harmonies, melodies, whatever. Uh, so, um, but in terms of band, see, I mean, during the 60s, I had guitars. I was in my room learning everything off the radio, basically. I was not a very rich kid, so the only albums I had were Beatles albums. I didn't have anything else, so I learned everything else off the radio. All the stuff you've heard is Amazing. off the radio. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't have those albums, don't have the... I have maybe um, a dozen singles. Um, the first single, you know, uh, February of 64, I have a dollar. I, you know, I didn't get much allowance. And it's like, well, like a dollar for a single. Yeah. I have a choice. I want to hold your hand or she loves you. You know, how do you choose that? <laughs> that was hard. But I, you had to. Yeah, I did. So I chose she loves you. You know, I knew it was not the normal choice. Right. But, uh, yeah, so I started learning all this stuff and continued when I was in college. I brought the guitar to college and all. But being a, a, a girl, no, no bands for girls, right? I could have led a band at that point, right? I, <laughs> I knew all the, the stuff on the guitar. I could sing whatever needed to be sung the melody or the harmony, but there was no venue. So when do you start fronting your own bands? Well, I don't know about fronting exactly. I'll putting, just, together, putting them together, I should yeah. say. Um, and and I, I haven't actually put together a band. I've been in three bands. Okay. Um, it's hard to put together a band. Yeah. Um, Lots of personalities. Yes, yes. That's that's one of the main things. And about, styles too, by the way. Yeah. Everyone thinks you're in a rock band. Everyone says the same music. Not true. Yeah, you have to. You know, I've I've learned this over many years now. You know, in order to have a happy band, it's not only everybody gets along, but everybody likes the same music. And if you've got divergent music styles competing, that causes friction. So um, the first band was not planned. Um, I, I, uh, I became a Moody Blues fan around 1993. I did not oh. come early to it, but uh, you know, it's not necessary to explain how that happened, but I found out about Moody Fest, which is held up the river every year. And um, so uh, I decided, okay, let's go to that. And they were putting out the word, of course, in print in 95. Um, if, you have a, if you have an instrument, bring it. So I brought my guitar, and five other people brought instruments. Four of them were guitars and one flute, <laughs> which was good. Uh, and they said, okay, go in that room and figure it out. <laughs> so I, in a half an hour, we came out with six songs that we played, which is that's probably pretty good. Yeah, for, <laughs> really you know, great. People who didn't even know each other 
right. you know, and, and we had to figure, okay, which songs do we all know uh, and that we can play decently well? And we came up with six, and we did it, and everybody liked it, and so it became a band. And, uh, you know, the, the personnel shifted a little bit over the years, and we ended up with a group that was spanning between Pennsylvania and Connecticut, and so it was a bear to get together to practice. Right. But we only had one gig all year. <laughs> Moody Fest. <laughs> yeah. We, we called ourselves, most unimaginatively, the Moody Fest Band. Sometimes, though, marketing is good for that, right? You, 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 know, you know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've got a website. You know, I, there's a web page. If you look it up, Moody Fest Band, you'll probably find it. And, and I, uh, I have a bunch of audio that's mm -hmm. attached to that. You can hear us play. Um, I have to get the videos. We have videos. We just have to get them in the right format. Sure. But, uh, yeah, so I, I sang. Uh, we had another lead singer, another female with a low voice, you know. So she would sing the leads because that's all she could sing. She couldn't do harmonies. So I would do the harmonies with her. Um, and so we didn't have a lead guitarist. So I bought an electric guitar, and I learned leads from by ear, you know, which is how I always learned. New Justin Hayward. Yeah, <laughs> you know I'm. Uh, don't yeah, you shouldn't call me Justin Hayward. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but at least I knew what I was trying to do, right. and I didn't have the tremor then. You know, so it was much easier. I could strum away like question, you know, <laughs> like a machine gun, and uh, and I could do the leads reasonably well. Cool. Even some of these three-minute leads that would be at the ends of songs, like I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band, and after they're done singing, they, he goes off for some period of time. Yeah. You know. Well, times have changed a lot since 1995, I think, particularly for people's, I don't know, more, well, more open to different configurations of bands and what, what, a, what a band means, and, and, and particularly with all the online stuff. Well, it's, it's true. I mean, that band was mainly female <laughs> yeah. because the fans are mainly female. So uh, we got the husband of uh, the flute player who then picked up bass because we needed bass, and he taught her how to play bass. And so uh, she would sometimes, both in the same song, she'd put the flute down, grab the, the bass, or vice versa, uh, we had one person who started out on, on guitar, and then she could play some keyboards, so she played keyboards. And we finally got another guy to do some of the really low singing, Ray okay. Thomas's singing. Wow. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, so do you have any plans to returning live, playing with your Apple Bonkers or the Meatles uh, well, or yourself? Well, uh, the Meatles are actually playing this afternoon at Strawberry Field in Central Park. How cool is Please that? Please come out. <laughs> Do you play every Saturday or just um, here and there? The, the, the pandemic has really done a number on both bands. Yeah, I bet. Right? Both bands were, were basically subway bands, right? The Meatles was the band that I joined next. Uh, the, the, um, the, the, the Moody Fest band kind of called it quits around 2006 because that was about the time that Moody Fest itself was calling itself quits, you know. So we didn't have a place. So so for three years, I wandered in the wilderness, as it were, just picking up here and there and singing in duos or this or that. And then um, 
there was this thing called the uh, the uh, it was a, a meetup, the the Beatles meetup, New York City Beatles meetup, and so I joined that, and they would meet in the back of bars downtown for hours, like four or five hours, and jam. Everybody would bring their guitars, and they would jam for that period of time. And most of the guys were sitting there with their heads in a book, and I was not, you know, because I pretty much knew everything and could harmonize with anything. Since the age of 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, so, so anyway, yeah, so... Uh, that was enjoyable, right? And then after a while, this uh, fellow who had brought, you know, a makeshift drum kit, not the full, obviously, the full yeah. thing, he uh, says, uh, so have you always known how to uh, play that well? And I'm thinking, no, I learned yesterday, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's funny how people, like, expect, like, talent, just, you just pull it out of nowhere, like, pull out of your hat, like, yeah. Years and years of investment. Well, and, and also there's, there's not kind of figuring that a woman would have ever done this as a girl. So the, the, I've, had to, I've had to deal with this, you know, not, not just with music, you know, but with every stripe of my life. I've been a scientist, right? So as a 25-year-old environmental scientist, uh, you know, working with engineers in my first job, you know, and they gave me the figurative finger as often as they possibly could so that I couldn't do my job, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I could give you stories, you know. Well, that's a, a podcast for another time. Yeah. But we'll, but, but, <laughs> but we'll, we'll cover, I want to cover, um, speaking of covers, I want to cover um, you covering someone else. Uh, we want to hear your, your work because uh, it's important. Uh, to, and giving you the credit you deserve. So uh, what are we going to hear from you? Um, you have a cover tune for us. So right. what, what is it going to be? Well, uh, yeah, I had hundreds to choose from. So I just decided, you know, I always play in my uh, my own podcast, whatever I'm feeling like at the moment. So I felt like Gilbert O'Sullivan's Alone Again Naturally. All right. Let's hear it now. Here we are. Maggie Clark. now when I'm not feeling any less sour I promise myself to treat myself and visit a nearby tower and climb into the top and throw myself off in an effort to be clear to whoever what it's like when you're shattered left standing in the lurch at a church where people saying my god that's tough she stood him up no point in us remaining we may as well go home as i did on my own alone again naturally to think that only yesterday i was cheerful bright and gay Looking forward to who wouldn't do the role I was about to play But as if to knock me down, reality came around And without so much as a mere touch took me into little pieces Leaving me to doubt all about God and His mercy For if He really does exist 
Why did he desert me in my hour of need? I truly am indeed alone again, naturally. It seems to me that there are more hearts broken in the world that can't be mended, left unattended. What do we do? What do we do? Do 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 Looking back over the years And whatever else that appears I remember I cried when my father died Never wishing to hide the tears But at 65 years old My mother, God rest her soul Didn't understand why the only man She had ever loved had been taken Leaving her to start with her heart so badly broken despite encouragement from me no words were ever spoken when she passed away i cried and cried all day alone again naturally alone again naturally Well, that was awesome, Maggie. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, and I, I didn't quite finish the previous story, which is one of the things I do. I, like, go down a hole, and then I... <laughs> Let's, well, we have time. <laughs> so, um, you know, so this fellow then uh, who had said, have you always known how to play, uh, said, well, would you like to drop in? You know, the Beatles are playing Times Square on this particular date. Would you like to drop by? You know, okay. So I brought the guitar, and... Uh, you know, I had my own case. I, I think I even had an amp, uh, you know, from, from the days of being with the previous band and all. They were Im impressed with that. You know, I had a mic stand, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, so I was part of the band from then on. It was November of 2009. And so as you can see, I'm still a part of that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the Apple Bonkers from my mind, sp spun off from there, and there are a number of people who have been in both. Okay. But it's not the same band. The Beatles are really a Beatles cover band. Two-thirds of the things that they do are Beatles, whereas most of the stuff that the Apple Bonkers do is other stuff from the same era. Speaking of the same, well, maybe a little past the era, you're wearing a Zombies T-shirt. Mm -hmm. need to make sure everyone knows that. And uh, we have to call attention to that, of course. <laughs> so you, tell us about your relationship with the zombies. Right. Well, so 
Um, again, coming coming to this a little bit late. I mean, I, I certainly liked the zombies in the '60s. I mean, I was the right age. Uh, they they were one of the first bands from Britain to get a number one in this country. She's not there. Rod Argent wrote it as a teenager. It was the second thing he'd ever written. Okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's the keyboardist. <laughs> who will do these magnificent things with one hand while he's just adjusting something with the other. It's amazing uh, how people can do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was classically trained. Uh, and, and I was, I don't know if I would call it classically trained, but, you know, in terms of getting up to guitar, I told you how I got up to singing. Mm -hmm. But um, my mother started throwing instruments at me when I was six. So I got a harmonica which I learned to play, and, uh, and maracas and, and bongos. She had visited Cuba before Castro. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I had those. And then when I was seven, well, everybody in school was either taking piano or accordion. And she didn't have enough money for a piano, you know, single mom. So I got to rent an accordion, you know. <laughs> And that was the that was the age of accordions anyway. I don't know if you remember Lawrence Welk. I do. I remember that. Uh, my grandmother had it on quite often. Yeah. And so I was sat in front of it, whether I liked it or not, the whole <laughs> hour of Lawrence Welk. Exactly, exactly. You know, and this Myron Florin was the guy with the big accordion, right? So, so it was a big deal. It was a deal. And so uh, I took accordion for four years, seven through ten, and... It wasn't just, okay, now I'm going to play a solo accordion tune. This was the most bizarre thing. There were three sections to an accordion band for second and third. We all had books with the music, which we could read and play. Um, the third section was the easy harmony. The second section was the hard harmony, and the first was the melody. And it would all play together, and if you can imagine, like, 20 or 30 of us. <laughs> <laughs> that mean, had to be quite the room. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure there's no video of it, which is a really big shame. But uh, And I challenged to first seat, first section when I was 10. Holy mackerel. Yeah, and my mother had bought me this uh, very nice Italian uh, accordion at that time, which I still have. But uh, then we moved from Miami to St. Petersburg by band. And um, Beatles, meanwhile, are front and center. I want a guitar now. And it's like, I don't have the money. You know, here, take the green stamp books and uh, go get yourself a ukulele, which I did. And which she knew somehow that the chords would be very similar. And I learned all the Beatles stuff on the ukulele. It wasn't until much later that I'd found out that George Harrison started on the ukulele. So did Justin Hayward. So did a whole slew of other people. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know that. Yeah. Well, consider yourself in good company then, right? Yeah. Well, I want to segue. Um, we'll, we'll come back and hear another tune. But uh, while we still have time, I want to uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on your local service to our community uh, here in Inwood. And... Um, and I mentioned you participate in many forms of positive acti activism for the betterment of our neighborhood. But I specifically wanted to highlight your work and journey of the caretaking of the Ring Garden um, I, I, on Dykeman Street. For those of you who don't know who Dykeman Street is, it's just on the 
border right there, I will say, of um, some say Inwood and Washington Heights. Other people say Inwood's down on Fairview Avenue. Um, it depends on where you kind of are, but technically Fairview Avenue really is the city, I believe, border definition of Washington Heights. But Dykeman Street is the main, is, is the main thoroughfare, we'll just say, other than Broadway. Um, can you take our listeners on a journey from what that and you and other Green Garden volunteers have accomplished and making it a wonderful natural sanctuary for our neighborhood? Because you've put in decades of work and it was just a lot, right? It was just an empty lot when you guys first found it. Well, we're actually in our second garden now. The first yeah. one was the empty lot at 1815 Riverside Drive. Right. Uh, Riverside Drive, if you've ever seen some of these old pictures that I think it's Al Heitzer puts up, and you'll see that uh, the road goes up and then there's kind of a drop off. That's where the buildings are now. Yep. But uh, that used to be a kind of a swamp, basically. It was a lot of peat underneath. Then they filled it all in, and then they put these six-story buildings on top, uh, and then they started to sink. <laughs> Gee, you wonder why. Uh, in, in the 1920s, right? So, um, and I actually got a hold of some of these, uh, these, these borings from 1815. Uh, and found that, yeah, in, in part of that lot, there's, like, if you dig down, there's, like, 30 feet depth of peat, which is this squishy stuff, and three feet in another part of the lot. So this is where the environmentalist comes out, too, folks, if you haven't noticed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, I, my first degree was geology, and, oh. and, you know, and I have two masters on top of that, environmental and energy, and then got the doctorate in earth and environmental sciences, so, yeah. So, so, yeah, I was looking at this map, and it's like, well, no wonder this building pretty much caved in. Right. Um, and so uh, Brian Murtaugh, who was the assemblyman at the time, 1984, and thank, thank God, you know, that he put up these uh, flyers in various buildings, including mine, say, come to the, uh, the, the union, what, what's uh, the church on coming? Um, <laughs> which isn't a church anymore. Uh, Holy Trinity? Yeah, 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 they're 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 going to build a giant, awful building they're, on it. Yeah, they're renovating, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, but uh, so he said, come to the church. We're going to talk about what should happen with this empty lot. They finally, the, the landlord had wanted to actually put four additional stories on the six-story building that was sinking. And the bank said, uh-uh. <laughs> Thank you. And so he abandoned it, and, and the city took it down. And then Murtaugh says, okay, neighborhood, what should we do with this lot? And never at a loss for words, so I put up my hand, well, why don't we throw some flower seeds on it? And um, not realizing that flower seeds would never take in rubble. I mean, I've learned a lot about gardening since then, but... Uh, Anyway, he got the idea. And anybody else interested in a garden? You know, and by the end of the meeting, he had a group of six of us who were going to work on that. And the next year, we had to decide. Well, we were, three of us decided to squat, basically, on, on the land that was there. It was, uh, I had managed to get us some big tubs of, of soil, and we planted some bulbs in there, and some, and already coming up in there were, little marigold plants and so forth, you know. So that was 1984, and by 85, the six of us had to get together and decide, well, is this going to be a botanical garden or a plots and veggies kind of garden, right? Most community gardens are plots and veggies. 
and they have a totally different way of working. You know, that you are assigned that square. You must keep it up, and you must also, you know, dedicate however many number of hours we ask you to the upkeep of the rest of it, right? And so, and if you don't do that, you're out, and the next person on the line gets your square. Welcome to intergarden politics, people. <laughs> so, but that's not how we work. No, we, we, you know, we can't, and we don't have our garden carved up into squares. We all work on the same thing, and it's a community garden, so... We, uh, we, we, we say, well, you have all these different things to choose from. You can mow, you can put up a website, you can, um, you know, plant whatever water, whatever you compost, whatever you want to do, and, and that's fine with us, and we'll teach you how to do it if you don't know how to do it. Awesome. Totally awesome. And now you're on a second garden space. Well, so the first garden was only four years. Um, the, the first owner... Scharf had owned it, and uh, he said, after four years, get off. (laughs) This is property, so there you go. Yeah, I mean, Murtaugh had gotten us a a license or a lease or something for for a dollar or something, and and then he just said, get off. Okay, so we wandered for two more years, and I always had my eye on the triangle, where it currently is, uh, Seaman and Dykeman, Broadway, Riverside, and... um, you know, and so we were starting to raise money, too. And Murtaugh and Leichter, who was our senator, gave us together $5,000, which in those days was something. Uh, and, and even Columbia Presbyterian gave us $1,000. And so I'm holding this money, and it's like we have no, no place yet. So um, I, I spoke with someone from the New York Horticultural Society who used to run the Green Gorillas, and she said... Go to the parks department and beg, which is exactly what we did. And we said, well, we have this money. We have tools. You know, we have a lot of things. We have volunteers. And, I, and we'd like that spot, please. And, <laughs> and he said, great. You'll be our second Manhattan Green Streets. You see the Green Streets program? Well, Henry Stern had invented that for big triangles like that. And there was already one. And so we fit right into that program at the, just at the right time. If we didn't have that wonderful fellow, Pompasello, who was the Manhattan Commissioner of Parks, or if that program didn't exist, we may not have been able to do anything. If Murtaugh had not put the sign up in the building, you know, I mean, a lot of ifs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And if, so, you didn't spe- and if you didn't speak up. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Uh, so, so in any event, within 10 minutes, Pompicello and I had figured it all out, and uh, he said, well, we can bring you soil from the ball fields, and we can put together uh, railroad ties, you know, you'll buy the railroad ties, uh, you know, and, and we kept half of it for railroad ties, half of the 6,000 for plants, and um, yeah, and we, we, we put down an artistic drawing of what we wanted, and it carried it out, and it was all started in 1990. That's amazing. And it's evolved to this day. It's still around. Um, again, you've, you've created a really great place for community to come literally cultivate uh, a garden, but also cultivate relationships. Um, a lot of uh, life events have happened there. A lot of neighborhood events have happened there. So a uh, little tip of the hat, I think, the neighborhood community to you and all those throughout the years from 84 on who have dedicated your time and, uh, and, and making our community literally flower. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, a couple of the events, um, Art in the Garden, we started that in 2001, which was before the Uptown Stroll, and we think that we influenced that to happen. I think... I think we influence, I think everyone influences everybody else up here. I, I think that's for sure, 100%. Yeah, and then the other is we've been having uh, an annual uh, holiday party and tree decoration. So we bought in 1990 a seven-foot uh, blue spruce, and it's now about 30 feet high. <laughs> and, we're, and, and I finally figured out if we can get this, this round thing and we could put rope like that, then we can like pull, use pulleys. If we can get this onto the top, right. we could use pulleys to get the up, strings right? yeah. to the top because otherwise we're now risking life and limb. Yeah, <laughs> a lot different than seven-foot tree, right? To do that. So we've been doing that since 1990, and the Parks Department had been hauling in a dead tree, as it were, right. since the end of World War II. Named, you know, it was in honor of Lieutenant William Teague, right. which the triangle is named after. Well... Again, kudos to you, and um, you know we, we keep talking about your environmentalism and and your bands and everything else. But I do want people to hear it is live and local for a reason. We want to hear um, another tune from you and an original tune from you. Uh, so, um, what are we going to listen to? Well, yes, the original tune is called "Truth Doesn't Matter," and I wrote it. It was the first song I've ever written. It's the only song. I could write more, but uh, I I wrote it five days before the 2016 election, about the election, and um, well, uh, I guess we'll listen to the song. All right, let's take a listen. Everybody's talking about it Time for choosing Even though it's such a joke Nobody's laughing Can someone tell me why Truth doesn't matter Can someone drive my eye And then make it better Ugly speeches, hate-filled rallies, lies flowing non-stop, taunting, tweeting, hope is fleeting, when will it stop? Can someone tell me why? Truth doesn't matter, can someone ride my eye and then make it better? Our choices 
clear we must preserve our precious democracy. Can someone tell me why? Truth doesn't matter. Can someone bribe my eye? And then make it better. Can someone tell me why? Truth doesn't matter. Let's all tell hate bye-bye. And we'll make it better. And we'll make it better. Great job. Beautiful. Thank you. So what's the next song you're going to write, huh? Do you have any ideas? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I could write. I could just sit and write songs. There are a lot of things I can do well. It's a matter of carving up the time. I Yeah. You, you don't, <laughs> as, I, as I rattled off all your accomplishments, you don't, you don't uh, bore easy, do you? <laughs> well, I or was... do you bore easy? <laughs> when I was growing up, I had no siblings. My mother was hard at work. And uh, so I'd sit on the floor bored out of my gourd all the time. So, yeah, so I'm making up for that. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, I wrote down a few weeks ago all the committees and boards and what have you that I'm on, the bands and everything. There's 22, and I run seven of them. Uh, each of them deserve their own podcast. We could just do the Maggie Clark podcast <laughs> series. Um, yeah, it's... it's uh, and, and And they're all, like, uh, screaming for attention. Me, 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 you know? And and sometimes, uh, you know, I've I've had to let things drop. I was I was uh, I was the the division chair of the uh, sustainability and Re resource conservation division of the Air and Waste Management Association for decades, and we would put together sessions for their conference. And this was air and waste management, so it was a huge thing. And I just decided a couple of years ago, I. I have to drop something. Let me drop that one. Yeah. Well, you, you can't do it all. You no. can't do it all. Well, thank you for doing what you do, though. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. But before we say goodbye, uh, where can I send people to find out more about your current and forthcoming projects? Well, let's see. The environmental um, projects that I've done in the past are on MaggieClarkEnvironmental.com. So that's Clark with an E on the end. Um, I'm pretty big on Facebook, so I've got my own Maggie Clark, and then there's Maggie Clark Music, where you'll find all of those, uh, those videos that I've been doing for the last couple of years. Um, that's, I think, where I, I put most of the things, although... I'm pretty remiss. I write a hell of a lot. I write. I propose legislation. We've got a couple of bills from, I didn't mention, Inwood Legal Action. Uh, and I put together an environmental committee for that. And we've been putting together legislation. And so far, Robert Jackson has introduced two of them. And uh, we've gotten um, assembly same as's for them. And what we need is individuals to write letters to him and all the others because that's the coin of the realm. And where can they get a hold of you to help write the letters? Uh, my email, for example. Do you want to give it out? You don't have to. Well. Or they can contact me, and I can give out the, your email address if they want to. 
interested. What do you want? It's it's okay. Uh, okay. Maggie at MaggieClark.com. There you go. You have a direct pipeline, people. There you go. Remember, only good things. <laughs> yes, uh, please don't. No spam. No spam. <laughs> well, listeners, uh, you can find those um, details in this description of this episode of In What Artworks On Air. And if, if I think of anything else, I'll add it to the description. Sounds good. Well, thanks again, Maggie, for joining me on this live and local episode of In What Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes that make their home what we call upstate Manhattan. Uh, if you have a moment, please show us some love right now and rate this review, rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Many thanks to Church of Good Shepherd for hosting us here in Inwood NYC and also to HideSites.com for uptown promotional support. Be sure to follow us on social media at Inwood Artworks to keep up with all that we do, including the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Alfresco, pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. And you can support On Air and all of our free programming by making a free donation at inwoodartworks.nyc backslash donate. This program is supported in part by public funds, New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, in partnership with City Council. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air. Thank you.